0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 3, we're looking at verse 19-24. through 24. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can also take that home as our gift to you. John three nineteen through 24 If you remember, if you recall from last week, what John talked about was loving the brothers, loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. So we hit on love. <clears throat> Who are we to love, and how are we to love, and why are we to love? So there was a lot of call to action, a lot of do this, do this, do this, and sometimes that can feel a little burdensome, I know. But what John is taking us now is basically going into the Gospel, deep into the Gospel, deep into what God has done for us. So hopefully, if you are somewhat burdened by last week's message, you will be uplifted and encouraged by this week's message uh, as we talk about God reassuring us and giving us confidence. Um, so if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. First John chapter 3, 19-24. This is God's Holy Word. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, Would you please pray with me? Father, we come before you expecting um, your promises and your word to wash over us, to encourage us, convict us where we need to be convicted. And Father, as we ponder your word, may we come at it with humility, not over your word, but under your word, to be changed and to be saved. So would you bless us now in Jesus' name? Amen. You know, the more and more I've thought about what this book is about, and I've told you this in weeks past, that I believe what John is talking about, what this main, main point of this letter is assurance, is assurance of salvation. From chapter 5, he talks about, I write these things to you so that you may know that you are in Christ Jesus, that you may know, and you, you may have assurance. And as I thought about assurance more, how do we get assurance? What does it really come down to? But if you really dig deep into, into how are you assured of eternal life as a believer? It really comes down to trust. And that may seem obvious to you, but it, becomes, it comes down to trusting God, that what he says is true. And I know that's hard for some of us. Actually, it's hard for all of us because we were born to doubt. We were born doubters. After the fall into sin, we've all, we all have an inclination to doubt. Doubt God and what he says is true. Um, And we also have an inclination to doubt one another. It's easier to doubt people and what they say than, than to trust them. And to trust what they have to say is true. And trust has to be built up between people in a marriage or any kind of relationship over years. You have to build trust over years and years and years. And doubt can seep in at any moment and trust can be broken with a word. And so we're inclined to really... Doubt God. That's that's sort of our inclination because of sin. But friends, I want to say this to you, that even though doubt is easy and trust is hard, assurance is built on the back of trusting God's promises. I'm going to say a lot about uh, what assurance is and how we can get assurance in this life, but if you don't get that point, you'll miss it all. If you don't get this point, that it's ultimately about trusting what God says is true we cannot over trust in jesus right? you can't trust too much in him we're always going to be trusting more and more we need to be trusting more and more in him you know in, in breakfast boys on saturday we were talking about you know which disciple do you uh we're just talking around the room who do you relate to most which disciple do you relate to most and some people said peter and some people said john and um and I thought about this, as, but I was wondering, can I say this as a pastor? Could I really say that I actually relate sometimes to doubting Thomas? Is that okay to say that? <laughs> that, that doubting Thomas is sometimes who I relate to the most. And you know what, I think he kind of gets a bad rap sometimes because, because of course he doubted, he, wasn't, he didn't believe the words of the other disciples, that Jesus appeared to them. But I'm thankful for his, his testimony, I'm thankful for what he said that he did doubt. Because what did it do? It led him to faith. Jesus showed up and appeared to Thomas and didn't just appear to him, but actually allowed him to touch his wounds. How many of you guys, when you get scrapes and bruises and cuts, actually like people to touch your wounds? We don't like that. And it's not just because it hurts if someone were to touch your wound. But Jesus became vulnerable to Thomas. He exposed his scars and his hands, and to touch and see that I am real, and what happened was real. So I'm actually thankful for Thomas, because not just for what he, he, being honest, but he said, my Lord and my God, right? He confessed the truth about who Jesus was. So if, if we can sum up 1 John in a word, it's assurance, but we get there, right, through trust. And that assurance is what John's been giving us in this letter. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So he begins with assurance saying, Look, I've talked to Jesus. I touched Jesus. I hugged Jesus. Physically, he's real. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he gives us assurance of salvation, of, of forgiveness of sins. He says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you do sin, you have an advocate. But now, in chapter 3, he's moving us to internal assurance. What you know to be true in your heart. How do we make sense of salvation in light of our own heart struggles? Remember what John said back in chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we will be has not yet appeared. That's a huge statement with huge implications for how we're to view ourselves and each other. In conversion, we are new creations, this is true, but what we will be has not yet appeared. We're works in progress. Blake Wingfield's a work in progress. Uh, Hannah, my wife, is a work in progress. Dale Ball is a work in progress. We're all works in progress. We sometimes doubt, we sometimes struggle with trusting and believing God. And just because you're a Christian it doesn't mean you won't have external trials and internal battles of the heart. So how does the gospel respond and and to inform us when we're struggling? How does Jesus provide a solution to our weak hearts? Where can we turn? Maybe you've asked the question, am I even a Christian if I doubt? Am I even a Christian? Friends, how do we know we're Christians? How do we know we're going to remain Christians not just today, but tomorrow? Is there assurance? Put simply, John says to us this morning, yes, there is assurance and you can have it for four different reasons. I'm going to go through each reason one at a time, but I'm not going to preview them this time. I'm just going to go one at a time. And just so you know, the first point is longer, but they're, they're going to get shorter as I go through, so don't be too worried. The first reason you can have assurance is condemnation grips your heart. Condemnation grips grips your heart. Look again at verse um, 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Friends, John's assumption is that we Christians will have a battle within us, and will wage war against the, our accusing hearts. Our hearts typically tend to accuse us and condemn us. He says those things in verse 20 as if it's normal for our hearts to accuse us. And you know, typically people feel accusations in their hearts for two reasons, either your past or the present struggles you're having right now. The Christian poet and hymn writer William Cooper knew these challenges all too well, and he writes in a prayer to God, I sometimes thank myself inclined to love thee if I could, but often feel another mind averse to all that's good. My best desires are faint and few. I fain would strive for more. But when I cry, my strength renew. Seem weaker than before. Oh, make this heart rejoice or ache. Decide this doubt for me. And if it be not broken, break. And heal it, if it be. So what should we do when we feel accused in our own heart, condemned in our own heart? Well, the first thing that we should do, and it's counterintuitive, is listen the accusation. What is the accusation you're feeling in your heart? Friends, the worst thing that that can happen to you in this life is not knowing your own sin. Not being aware of your own sin. What's the state of the condemned people in Romans chapter 1? You remember what Paul says? For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts became darkened. And there God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Do you hear those words? Their foolish hearts became darkened, and God gave them up. That is scary to think about, being given up in your own sins. That's the picture of an unresponsive heart, dead in sin. And if you, like me, go through periods of uncertainty over your own obedience, thank God for unsettling your conscience in your heart. Thank God for godly sorrow. Thank God for exposing your need for a savior. Friends, it's the lost who have no idea they need saving, who have no war waging within them. What's worse, it's those same people who often think they're good, and they don't live outright immoral lives. They're law-abiding citizens, but they think they're heaven-bound because their hearts have become blinded to the reality of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of their own sin. Think of the rich young ruler that Jesus spoke to. He wasn't convicted of his own sin. He thought he was good because he followed the law to the best of his ability, but he had no heart struggles. He had no heart struggles. Uh, When I was young, eight or nine, I was a big fan of going to the movies, and I went to lots of different movies, and I haven't gone back in a few years. I don't know if you guys have made it back to the theater recently, but my favorite movie in the theater uh, without a doubt. Wasn't Star Wars or anything like that, it was Jurassic Park. Right? Jurassic Park was amazing. I loved it. And with my dad, I'll never forget it. It was great. The music, the cinematography, the dinosaur, I mean just the concept, right? Of this idea that we could create dinosaurs, bring them back from fossils and, and and live amongst them, right? That's just amazing. Create a theme park where you could go see them. And just the the computer graphics were amazing, of these dinosaurs, especially back in the 90s, loved it, loved it, and it was terrifying, not to admit, like, it was I ter- I haven't seen any of the new Jurassic Parks, but that one was terrifying, and I, I can't wait to show it to, to Leland, um, and relive my own experience, but there's one uh, particular scene that was particularly frightening, it's when the kids are in the car, and the power goes out to the whole park, and it's raining, and they're alone. I don't know if one of the adults went somewhere else to go. Like, like in all scary movies, right? Everybody gets separated. But anyways, the kids are there. They have a flashlight and the power's out. And all they see is just the rain around them. And the camera zooms into a, a cup of water. And it starts to vibrate a little bit. Boom, boom, boom. And all you know, you don't see a dinosaur, but you know something's coming. And it's not good. It was a genius move by the director to just hone in on that because that cup of water became a signal that something is not good. Something's not right and something bad is on the way. Friends, that is like our heart, that cup of water. That heart, our heart tips us off to something is wrong, something is going haywire and you better do something soon. Our heart is like that cup of water shaking and signaling, hey, all is not well. You need to listen up and change your ways. And what are we to do when our heart does that, when it's troubled? Well, that's the second point. We're to wage war on the accusation, and we do that by having confidence. And our confidence, is point two, confidence is grounded in God's great promises. Confidence is grounded in God's great promises. Again, at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. When he says God is greater than our heart, you can put a lot of ideas into what he's saying there. I mean, that encapsulates a lot of biblical truth. But where that leads me is that our salvation is outside of ourselves. It's not in us. God is greater than who we are, what our hearts are saying. The gospel is not about us meeting God's demands. It's about Jesus meeting God's demands, and us resting in his finished work. Right? That's what the gospel is. Not about us meeting his demands, but Jesus. And when we get this, it increases our confidence and quiets our accusing hearts. Because remember in the very beginning, our parents, when they sinned, they experienced this this kind of heart shame after they sinned. Remember from Genesis 3, 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... That it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That, that phrase, they knew that they were naked, they didn't just amazingly just get better eyesight right, and saw that they were naked. There was a shame in the midst of that. They saw... Um, They were were seeing with sinful eyes for the very first time, for shame had hit their hearts. And if you're anything like me, you've experienced the shame and accusation and unsettling of your heart. Even as believers, we deal with this from a day-to-day basis. And the gospel of Jesus teaches us that no one is worthy of salvation because we're all born with a worship disorder. Instead of worshiping God, the Creator, we worship created things and ourselves. Instead of deserving an eternity with God, we deserve punishment for our sins. But the beauty and the scandalous nature of the gospel is that despite our nature, despite our hearts, despite our behavior, we're offered grace. And we attain that forgiveness and righteousness by believing and trusting in God. And this means, this is awesome, this means that the worst of people are saved by faith in Jesus. And the best of people are saved are denied salvation because they don't trust in Jesus. It all hinges on whether or not the fingers of your faith are grasping the Savior. That's what faith is. That means it's not about the strength of your faith, it's the strength of the one you're trusting in. I don't know if you guys like flying or if you've been flying recently. Uh, I haven't flown in a few years, to be honest. Probably back in 2019. And um, I enjoy it. It's been a while. Um, but you may really enjoy flying. Um, but think of this. You get on a plane, and you, you try to find your seat, and um, you get the dreaded middle seat. Right? You're in the middle seat, and you're beside two people, two gentlemen. And as you sit down, and the flight continues, one gentleman is completely relaxed. He is kicking back. Actually, he might be almost asleep at this point, maybe even before the, the plane takes off. And with the gentleman uh, on, the window, on the window side, he is racked with anxiety, racked with worry and fear, does not know what's going to happen, is scared out of his mind, is trying to look for his medication to lower his anxiety. And he's going to hate every second of this flight where the other guy is completely at ease. Completely at ease. You see, the point is that it doesn't matter whether you are relaxed or whether you are worried. The point is whether or not that plane is going to make it to the destination, right? You can be completely racked with worry or you can be completely at ease. It doesn't matter what the passengers are feeling ultimately, but whether or not the plan lands safely. That is like trusting in Christ. You can have a weak hold on Christ and worry and have anxiety, but still trust in Him. Or you can be completely assured of your salvation, that He has done it all. The point is both people are saved because they're gripping Christ with their faith. And these are the truths of the gospel yet again. In Christ we're offered mercy and righteousness and perfection and atonement. Each one of those words sums up what Jesus has done for us. Before we even gave a thought to cleaning ourselves up, Christ came to us. He put on flesh, lived a perfect life, he fulfilled all the law's requirements and became the perfect sacrifice. Think of uh, Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. In Christ, our sin is obliterated and punished. And we are justified and declared righteous by faith in his name. Those are the truths of the gospel that we need to hold on to. But what does this mean for you if you're not a believer in Jesus? If you're not a Christian? I ask you, where will you find your certainty in life? Where will you find hope? He achieved it all and offers you a place in his kingdom, if you would not morally clean yourself up, but you would give up trying to be worthy of salvation and trust in the one who is worthy. And what are some ways that John gives us to remember God and his promises? Well, in verse 20, look back there again, he says, Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. John's telling us to remember our salvation lies in God alone, and he knows our circumstances fully. The truth of God's sovereignty and his greatness should comfort our hearts. We can we, when we ask the question is he sovereign over my doubts? Is he greater than my limited vision? Think of the song Be Thou My Vision that he is the vision for us. And he says God knows everything. Why would John tack on that statement? God knows everything. Well, God is omniscient. There's nothing that can be known that which he doesn't already know. He knows the past, present and future. And how does this help me? How does this help you? Well, in their situation, he's reminding them that God knows objective truth fully. The truth is that Jesus is the Savior who has come in the flesh, and this is the climax of wisdom and knowledge. And regarding your own heart, think of your own heart, and that God knows every corner of your heart. He has exhaustive knowledge over every piece of your heart. He knows it fully. He understands the good, the bad, the hurt, your past, in your future. Nothing that has gone on in your heart will go unnoticed by our God. J.I. Packer once said, There is tremendous relief in knowing that His love to me is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. Let me read that again. There is tremendous relief in knowing that His love to me is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. That God knows everything about you. The worst parts that you've dared to mention, you don't want to say out loud. His love is based on knowing all that. And he still loves you. Isn't that amazing? John also shows us that by resting in Jesus' finished work and love for us, we can be confident before God. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. God wants to give you confidence, believer. He doesn't want you to be doubting. He doesn't want you to be discouraged. He wants to give you confidence and to not doubt. And this leads us to the third way in which we can be sure we're saved. The third way that you can have assurance is this, that courage is granted as you seek to obey God's word. This is a big theme for John. Courage is granted as you seek to obey God's word. We begin to trust God Christ more, obey His words, love each other, pray more often because we have the status as sons and daughters of the King. Put simply, when you see genuine fruit in your life, you can know God is at work in you, and you are His. Jesus said in John fourteen twelve, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Theologians say that salvation is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Faith without works is dead, as the Apostle James says. And then look at verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. That's such a huge promise. Because because we stand before God confident, we have access to his throne of grace, and we can ask whatever we wish, and he answers our prayers. We have his ear now. You have God's ear as his son or daughter. As you guys know, we've, our house was hit uh, by a car back in January and we've been displaced for several months. And I've been talking a lot with mortgage companies and uh, our insurance company. And uh, I, ha- I have to move some things around and talk to some people. And I was trying to do it yesterday and see if their office was open. And I was discouraged because n- their office was not open on a Saturday. I should have figured. Um, but anyways, I got discouraged like, man, I really wish I could talk to them right now. Well, what's awesome to know is that I can talk to God on a Saturday. And I can talk to him on a Sunday. Um, That he doesn't hold uh, office hours Monday through Friday. But he'll listen to you. And actually, he wants you to call him. He wants you to pray to him more than you want to pray. Right? Beyond what you want to do, he wants to hear you. He wants to hear from you. And so that is a comfort to me. But we're also called, and this is what I talked about last week, we're called to love one another. We're called to love one another. This is the summary of everything John's been writing thus far. Because of God's great love for us, because Christ laid down His life for us, we're then to trust Him, believe Him, treasure Him, and love our brothers and sisters here in this church and beyond. But this is hard to do. I talked about this last week. It's hard to love our brothers and sisters. Our hearts very often hinder us from serving God. Have you ever said to yourself, I will serve the church, I'll do this or that if I have a better prayer life, and then I'll step up. Perhaps uh, when I get more consistent reading in my Bible, and then, <clears throat> then I'll be ready to talk to my co-workers about Christ. Perhaps you lack the desire to pray or worship because of your past sins. Maybe you're not a Christian and you think that you have to be cleaned up and live a spotless life before you can begin trusting and serving Christ. Maybe you've said, I've got to get my life right. I've got to get cleaned up before Christ will accept me. But the Gospel responds to that by saying, God accepts you because of Christ. Now go live in that reality and obey Him. Serve, worship, love, pray, and thanksgiving for what God's done. Not out of some kind of obligation for that which you can't earn. Right? If you keep waiting to ha- be a better Christian, you're never going to be a better Christian. You're never going to be serving in the church if you keep waiting. But go and serve. You're already qualified if you're a believer. And John says those who keep his commandments abide in God. Another way of putting this is if we, <clears throat> those who abide in God obey God. right? Our obedience is rooted in who we are as abiders. He's to encourage us. He is encouraging us in our identity in Christ. So instead of living in the shame of your past life, your past week, your past hours, we'll live as sons and daughters adopted into his family through Jesus' work. Here's the final point that he gives us of how we can know we're assured of eternal life. It's that we have certainty. And the certainty is guaranteed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Certainty that we're saved is guaranteed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit abides in us, we can know without a doubt that we are secure in Christ forever. Look at verse 24 as I begin to conclude. By this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. Friends, we know with certainty that God abides in us because we've been given the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The living, active Holy Spirit reassures us and grants us confidence in His presence. And how do we know that we have the Spirit? Well, the Spirit attestifies to Jesus. He says as much in chapter 4 of 1 John. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, if, if, if you have a spirit in you that says, Yes, believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. That is the Spirit of God because it attests to Jesus there, we can be certain as to the presence of the Spirit by the nature of the Spirit, because we confess Christ. And you're growing more and more to become more and more confident Christ is for you, and that His work is sufficient for your salvation. Isn't that an amazing truth, that you actually have a power and a person at work inside you? I mean, this is, this is supernatural. We believe every Christian, if you believe in Him, Jesus, you have a power and a person, the Holy Spirit, inside you, indwelling you, encouraging you, leading you more and more to be like Christ. That's amazing. So we've been given this gift, and we've been given this seal upon us to guarantee that. In closing, let me finish just one final exhortation. Like William Cooper, the poet, the hymn writer, our days contain no shortage of pain, sadness, grief, and trouble, But as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not grieve as those who don't have hope. Our hope is not in our shifting situations or emotions. Our hope is not in our fickle hearts or our slippery consciences. Our hope is in our living Savior, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, who laid down His life, and who rose from the grave and reassures us by His Holy Spirit. So how do we respond? How ought to we respond as believers? Let us be confident. Not be prideful but be confident of who God has called you to be. That God, thank God if your heart is afflicted by sin, as we talked about in the first point, and then run to the true good news of what God's done for you in Christ, and out of a thankful response, obey God, glorify Him by the power and confidence granting power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to do. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we are thankful that you don't just call us to be wondering if we're saved or not, but we're to be reassured that we're saved. That you want us to not doubt. You want us to be assured. Assured of, of whose we are. So would we all grow in that? Would you help us to grow in that truth? Would you help us to lay aside the sin that clings to us? To, to pay attention to our hearts when they are troubled. And Father, let us listen to the Holy Spirit as it works in our hearts and leads us further and further on our Christian journey. And we look forward to the day when we are in the promised land, in heaven, with you. And we stand on those banks of the Jordan, thankful for all you've done for us and proclaiming your name forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.